In case you're wondering what you missed by not showing up to a live show, the last words that I said was, ooh, that's genocide logic. Let's talk about poop. So what I was saying before I talked about that at the live show is I was talking about educating myself about COVID-19 and something called beta coronaviruses. COVID-19 is a beta coronavirus. Hey, welcome to the live show. It's a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I should probably do something like that at the beginning of the shows. Hi, this is Nightly Pleasures Podcast. My name is Jack. Thank you so much for listening. It's kind of casual. If you're hitting this, it's the mini show, the actual seasons and the episodes. That's where it's a lot more sexy. Uh, This is much more just kind of hanging out with my fans on my server like a weirdo in the woods, feeling a little bit more like Howard Hughes every single time we do it. But I've been told that it's a lot of fun, so please come on out. You can find out more on my Twitter, at RealGreyNight. It's totally free. Appreciate you very much. I will get to the request at the end. If you're just looking for the timestamps and you don't want to hear me ramble or tell stories, oh, doesn't that hurt my ego? You can find them down below. Thanks to Ali. Thank you, Ali, and the moderators for making today's show possible. Okay. All right. Okay. Plugging myself. Not good at it. Gonna try. Gonna keep trying to do this. I know. Everybody get excited and reward me and, like, share the podcast when I do this shit, please. Because it's really embarrassing for me and I don't like it. But you're all so thankful that I'm here and trying to entertain you. Let's talk about poop. So I'm trying to learn about beta coronaviruses. And the reason why, real brief, because I went over this with the people who were here, is because medical authority, there just isn't one. And I just kind of, not knowing about medicine myself, I just kind of assumed that the AMA kept its own in line, and that there was a worldwide system of that with the WHO, and that doctors talked to each other. Hell, they even named themselves without borders all the time, and I made mistakes about that. Uh... And so educating myself because finding out that the CDC and the NHS and different health organizations around the world just had very different answers about COVID-19, I had to learn about poop. Why poop? Why poop? Well, let's just skip over something or let's get into something that a lot of health reporters skip over and they shouldn't. Because it it makes total sense, of course, when you get into it, but you don't really think about it. Why wet markets? Why markets with animals? Why laboratories? Why specifically do these places with the animals cause these diseases? They have the animals in them, yes, obviously, but what is it about the animals? And the answer is bodily function. The answer is, they're poop, generally speaking. It's where disease goes, and it's why toilets are so great in Western society, and it's how that cross-contamination is most likely to happen. We want to think of it like one infected animal with rabies passing it to another through a bite or a scratch, even though that's not any better if you're thinking about all these animals in cages and together. But in reality... They're probably spreading it just like we do in prisons or schools or any small confined area. It's probably pretty much exactly the same when you really think about it. And so it's a health and sanitary condition in a lot of ways, in a lot of senses. The answer about SARS and how it spread from bat guano to humans has been completely 
uh, or bats to humans entirely. Was it guano? Was it not? That's pretty much been uh, sussed out. And there are great medical authorities that you can go to. Don't listen to somebody like me on the internet. Go to them instead and, and be happy to read them. Uh, unfortunately, what happened, and I'm not going to get political with this because there's no good guys in COVID. In how COVID becomes a, a global uh, pandemic, I don't think there's any good guys. But on this particular case, very early on in China, China is a very bad actor. And what they do fairly early on, once they realize they can no longer contain the story, is they go into the Wuhan animal market, they close it down, and they basically wipe down the crime scene. They basically destroy all evidence of all viral infection anywhere there. They send in clean team after clean team. They don't let in experts from other countries to come in. And this is what they wanted to find. How did it spread? Did it connect directly from a bat to a human? Did it bounce around? Yada, yada, yada. Where did it mutate? How did it mutate? Was it there? How long was it there? These are the questions that apparently epidemiologists and virologists really want the answers to when it comes to something like we have now. Not just because it helps us with this current disease, but because it can help us stop the next one as well. Remember, people were talking about the next one during SARS, and they're talking about the next one now during COVID. Have fun with that, future generations, because I think this one's going to kill us all. Not really. It's a lot of fun. It's a fun show! Yay! Poetry and love letters! All right. So, really, when you think about the animals in these small confined spaces, and they're spreading uh, their basic, their breath, and their feces, and Anything else that an animal naturally sheds or has, and they're spreading it communally among one another, that's how we're getting these superbugs. This is a theory. This is not absolute fact. This is just something that I educated myself on and I found out about. And it makes a lot of sense to me, of course, if you think about something like MRSA and how that spreads around just a human-only hospital. If you think about the way that these bugs can spread around a very connected mammal uh, area in an enclosure, and it makes just total, absolute sense. But when reading about these contagious theories and how it spread, a really simple answer came up. And a really simple concern came up, and that is, wait a minute. Are you telling me that every single beta coronavirus transfers through feces? Which led me to another very simple question. Wait a minute. Are there things that every single beta coronavirus does? Every last one? This subsection of viruses <laughs> is... Wait, wait, are you telling me there's a subsection of viruses that's very closely studied? That we have all the answers to? That every single one of these obeys? Every single one of these obeys? And we can plug that into COVID-19? With no reason to assume otherwise? I asked myself, and I ask myself that now with this still highfalutin voice. And if there's a medical authority out there who wants to tell me why this is the most insane, stupid shit, or I got lucky, please do. Please do. Because my logic at the time, back in January, February, was, well, the medical authority doesn't have any fucking answer on this thing, and keeps saying wait and see, and guess. Why don't I just plug in the numbers? Why don't I just assume that COVID-19 follows, if, if, if it's a rule for literally every beta coronavirus, that's why it's a distinct term, because it has its distinct properties. Why don't I just plug it in? So there's no 
at this point, medical article, there's nothing in the New York Times or the Washington Post. There's nobody talking about this thing spreading through fecal matter back then. But I just assume, since literally a definition of a beta coronavirus is that it spreads through fecal matter, is that it was. Just assume. Just assume. And this kind of like brings me up to like a, oh, this thing is going to spread worldwide pretty quickly. Because once something gets into, there's a lot of conflict zones. It's a great way to say a war zone in the 21st century, isn't it? It's not a war zone. It's a conflict region. There's a lot of conflict region, a lot of conflict zones going on right now. And I don't know if you know this about conflict regions. I don't know how much, like, uh, looky-looing you've done on Syria. Just, like, you know, just the headlines, you know, just, like, a little video here and there. But uh, their sanitation stations are almost always out of pre-wipes. Like, there's almost never any fucking wipe jars next to the AKs. You know, you'll see the rocket propelled grenade, and then they'll fire it, and then they'll duck down, and then they'll just start, like, you know... I'm going to do it for the full fucking 20 seconds. You know, and then another tank comes over. They got to pull it out. They got to launch another rocket on. <laughs> Duck down again. That doesn't happen. That's not how it goes. <laughs> and I don't know this, if you know this, but if people are shooting into each other's homes for years, disease isn't going to stop that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Like... Just think about the woman in your life, and it is a woman. There is not a man. I'm sorry. I hate to single out women on this one. I want you to think about the woman in your life who knows that Disney parks being open is killing people. She knows. But she's not going to cancel her fucking wedding booking from 2022 because she's had it for four years. You want me to wait another four years to get married at Disneyland? <laughs> so I just want you to think about how invested that woman in your life is. With that, I don't know if you actually know this woman, but I do. This woman in your life is with getting married at Disney. <laughs> but but people's houses being blown up is just slightly more emotional. Gen I mean, not every... Uh, granted, I've met some Disney fans where that is... I've met some Disney fans where if you steal their mouse ears, they well declare jihad. But for most people... For most people, you shoot into their houses, that's a little bit more of a no-no. And so the idea of a disease coming around that's going to kill you, like a 5 to 10% chance, you're like, 5 to 10% chance? That's called Tuesday. That's called going to the market. 
So when I read about this in early 2022, you know, back when we were talking about bombing the shit out of Iran because they shot one of their own planes out of the sky because that was all still this year. I was just thinking about like, you know what we really don't need right now are more quote unquote conflict regions. We really don't need any more of those right now in the world because barracks are kind of like prisons. In fact, they're almost exactly like prisons, especially if you're talking about like American or like Thai armed forces because they're just kind of filled with ex-prisoners and large portions of their recent history. Is that wrong to say? I think it is. Is it? No. Wow, the audience is quiet tonight. I need to get to the toilets, I guess. All right, fine. I know what you're here for. It's not the hand rubbing. <laughs> so I'm educating myself as much as I can while reading the current events and just trying to, like, make use of it. And I do feel like at this point, I'm at my most insane. I feel like I'm at my most insane. I start to feel real validated within about two weeks of here. But this is a low valley moment. Because the world's just going on. And... You know what it's like when Donald Trump says something and everybody else just goes along with it? You know that feeling, because it happens to all of us, because he says too much shit for everybody to go along with it. But, like, in February, Donald Trump's all like, everything's cool with this COVID thing. And I'm like, no, it's not. But everybody in America is like, uh-huh. <laughs> and that's, that's real hard for me. That's a real, that's a real rough couple of weeks. And I do spend it studying. And I try to learn everything I can, not about transmission models or, like, how to read the John Hopkins dashboard. Uh, I just look up who got SARS the best, and it's actually somebody that I know, not like a friend or anything, not like an acquaintance, but like, oh, I know this person because they're from New Mexico. They're from Los Alamos National Laboratory, uh, and they happen to get SARS the best. Uh, their SARS modeling the best. And they happen to get, like, swine flu in 2009 the best. And they happen to get a couple of flus the best, their model. And so I just kind of plug their model in while I'm researching, while I'm trying to figure out, okay, so this thing's got a spike. And the spike, when it gets inside you, it stabs you. All right. And then once, okay, fuck. And then there's these, and I'm trying to learn the difference between, like, the CT scans that they're using in China and the swabs and tests that we're using here, the difference between a false negative and a false positive when a test can give both. Because I know what the difference between a false negative and a false positive is, but from an epidemiological level, what happens when you have a test that can give both a false negative and a false positive? Guess what? America 2020, because we're living it. We found out the answer. Because <laughs> our test gave both false negatives and false positives back in March. Huzzah! But like, what does that mean? What does it mean when you have a 20% false negative and a 10% false positive? What is that like from a, from a mathematical standpoint? From a, from a, how does this spread? And I eventually come up with this amazing, I think it's amazing. I've never heard this anywhere. I come up with this amazing theory because I still think I'm so naive. This is February. I'm so naive. I think we're still going to try and beat this thing as a species. <laughs> I still think this in February. I can't believe that I, I cannot believe that I wasn't full cynical. But I still think we're going to try and engage in contact tracing. I still think because the airports are starting to shut down, Europe's starting to get real sick. I still think at this point, 
we're going to try and beat this thing as a species. And you do that through testing, and you do that through contact tracing. You do that through policy that's led by medicine and doctors. That's how you do it. From the beginning, that's what they've said. That's what they're saying now. That's what they're saying they're not getting. That's what we'll be saying next year. Have a great show, folks. So, (laughs) I'm looking at the nightmare scenario that at the very beginning in January, every single doctor said couldn't happen. This is every medical authority and every doctor. I mean, every last one that I read. I mean, 100% of who I read. And I'm talking dozens, maybe over 100. This is all I'm reading. I decide somewhere pretty early in January, there's one story, it's COVID. And that's all I start reading. And I'm reading hours a day. And every last doctor says, there's no chance of a mutation happening. And so this mutation happens in February in Europe, and it makes... COVID 10 times more infectious, only equally as deadly. And a lot of countries like China and Vietnam and New Zealand who aced this early on had the less infectious strain. But once the more infectious strain that became very popular in northern Italy started making a way around the world, it's a very different story. 10 times as infectious approximately is much more. I've talked about this previously. And this is where I come up with my theory on how this thing is infecting and how people need to think about this thing infecting people. Because in SARS, the way that everybody thought about it was super spreaders. And that's the way, still sometimes the media will say super spreader, and it really bums me out. Because if you have a disease where half the people are asymptomatic, 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 then super spreading events are going to happen. If one out of two people is a possible bomb, that a lot of bombs are going to go off. And they don't know it. If one out of two people is a bomb and they don't know it, a lot of bombs are going to go off. So super spreading events are going to happen. That's a fact of life. If you can't accept it, you're not in the journalistic business. Sorry. Get some chops. What I come to as my realization when I think in February that we're going to try and like really think about this thing as a species. How do we stop this thing? How do we really, as a country as an economic unit, even just as a community? How do we beat this? My answer is what I call superclusters. And this never made its way around. It's not an idea, it's an idea that I came up with, so I've never made its way around. But like the concept of this is how this disease is different than other diseases and why we need to look out for it. The, d- the term I have for that is supercluster. What's a supercluster? The definition of a supercluster is any building any area, any meeting, usually a building, in which multiple infected persons are sent out from. The reason being is because every fucking beta coronavirus, this is February, every fucking beta coronavirus lives on surfaces and hangs around in the air some amount of time, no matter how heavy it is. All of them. Every last one. They all drop to the floor pretty quick. That corona, that crown, makes them heavier than other viruses. And believe it or not, apparently, if I've done my research correctly, and this blows my fucking mind, 
huge percentages of 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 the fact that we don't get sick is just because viruses are so light and tiny. And even though we all know that CGI of them floating on the air from the coughing kid right into our lungs as the protagonist in the first person, even though we all see that, uh, that view, the opposite happens, right? Where the virus is coming straight for you, but then a, a very light breeze comes up and that motherfucker go in a whole nother direction now. So as it turns out, in an enclosed space and high volume where somebody's sick and asymptomatic, I come up with the theory of, this is where it's bad. And I come up with the theory that this is where it's bad. Because I'm following this chain, and it follows this chain from Singapore to England. And between Singapore and England... <laughs> this chain of seven people. This is a new story that you haven't probably heard. This is very, very early on. Between Singapore to England, the chain of seven people involves two doctors and three nurses. And all I could think at seeing that was, oh my god. And they're all just going to say, wash our hands, we'll solve this, aren't they? They're really going to pretend that two doctors and three nurses just happened to not wash their hands and pass this to one another, aren't they? Instead of looking at the logical fucking conclusion of a bunch of people standing around, breathing the same air or passing it back and forth. A medical conference, a yoga studio, airplanes, ships, churches. These were all the initial news reported sites. All of them. Interior spaces, congregations with nice little avenues for somebody to get infected like a clerk or a front guest or somebody who's a gopher going in between cabins. All places where there's corridors and congregation. Both. Somebody gets infected and then passes along. I'm skipping the nursing homes for now. The nursing homes become become a big deal in February, but of course they're a susceptible population. I'm talking about people that are healthy. I'm talking about really not a lot of people over 60 getting super sick. Right? We think of cruises full of old people, and some of them were, but these cruise ships with people getting sick, 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 30s, 40s, uh, some 50s. Hospitals, we're talking about 30s and 40s. In the, doctor. the churches, we're talking about, again, much younger than the average fatal case. We're only picking it up on these populations because they're getting so sick, which goes back to the V-load theory that I probably didn't say after I hit the record button. Sorry, that was before the show. And so I start looking at all these superclusters, and with all the information that I have about beta coronaviruses, there's one universal truth, again, of all the other uh, bullet points. Guess what? It's in fecal matter. And there's fecal matter. There's plenty of fecal matter, unfortunately, on people's hands at all times. I really wish there wasn't. I hope the wash your hands thing stays just for that. That'd be real great. Please and thank you. Trim your nails, wash your hands. Yeah, you know what everybody said about eating six spiders before you die? Or like meeting 20 serial killers? And those are both bullshit. You don't actually eat the spiders. Eat six spiders every year or whatever it is. You meet 20 serial killers every time you go on Tinder. I forget it. Whatever it is. 
I forget the exact statistics, but they turn out to be bullshit. You actually do shake a lot of pooey hands. You actually do shake a lot of freshly pooed hands. That's actually, especially if it's a kid, you know, like we teach children to shake hands, but we should definitely not. <laughs> Kissing and shaking hands are both learned behaviors. Let's stop both. Come on. Come on, girls. It's a trade-off. I learned about beta coronaviruses, and they all travel through fecal matter. Every last one. And of course, why wouldn't they? It's a great place to travel. It's a fantastic avenue. And I'm I'm doing pretty okay in 2020, even if I accept that this story is just going to keep going on through 2021, and a lot of you just don't want to hear that. In fact, the best estimate that I've read for getting three quarters of the world vaccinated could happen by the end of 2030 or the end of 2023. So, like, I'm just trying to, like, Han Solo this shit. You know? Buckle up. I'm trying to prepare. I don't want to fucking get older in the COVID age. I don't want to waste any more time. I'm so ready for live shows. But first, a headline that may actually make me kill my cat and myself and maybe a couple of you. I don't know on the way out if I have to read it one more time after everything that I've said. And that is, City discovers that you can trace COVID through sewers. Allow me to explain. <laughs> we are still so fucking far behind as a species and as America that in our worst place areas, the best medical testing that we can have the best medical testing that we have available to us is sending out people to check wastewater for the amounts of COVID that's in it to do kind of a reverse sampling of how much of it is being flushed down the drains. And every time a city begins implementing this absolute last-ditch, pun intended, effort, It's celebrated and treated like it's a win. It's celebrated and treated like it's an innovation every time I read it. People were proposing it back in Australia. Because remember, I'm, I, I speak English. So there's, there's media coming out, of course, in, Chinese, in Mandarin, uh, in, in, in various Asian languages. Their, their scientists are all over this. Because of SARS, Southeast Asia is bucking on this. So when I cite information, when I say people are talking about it, I do mean in the English sphere. That being said, the English sphere for science and medicine is vast, and it is what foreigners by and large use. ESL is real big in the science and medical communities, and I was real on the early side of this one. And I think about February is when, at least to the public-facing internet, the information about this started getting out there. And it's just really frustrating. I know. I want to give you guys such great shows. I do. I want to be such an entertainer. And I'm hoping that I made this at least a little bit entertaining because it's a lot of frustration. It's a lot of information. It's very dense. It's very dumb. Hopefully talking about the fun stuff and going on little rambles and bringing in, hey, it's about a toilet. Um, but at the end of the day, 
the obligation that I feel like I have to you guys is both to entertain and inform you. The information that I'm getting is everybody is so sick and tired of this. Everybody is. If you are, you are not alone. Everybody feels like they're on a treadmill or an infinite pool that they did not sign up for, that they got thrown into. You are not alone. If you feel like you're reading the same headlines, even though there's new and scary stuff all the time, oh my god, every time I read this fucking toilet COVID headline, you are not alone. At I just keep thinking, like, when all the TV shows and shit show the Groundhog Day, at least they get to have fun. You know? When all the characters get stuck in their little loop, they at least get to have fun for a little bit in the middle of the episode before they have to come back to reality. We don't get to have fun. We just have to wake up and go, what's going on now? We just get to tune out the news and tell people DM us going, are you okay? Are you okay? And we have to figure out, okay, <laughs> let's contact Trace back this concern. Because I didn't get drunk enough to make an ass of myself last night. Probably. Count the beer bottles. Probably. <laughs> really and truly, bottom of my heart, I'm getting a lot of anxiety. A lot of depression. A lot of feeling of emptiness. Hopelessness. And I just want to assure you, I have no idea if you're okay. I have no idea if it's going to be okay for you. I would love to just say it. I, I can't. What I can say is I want you to hang on. What I can say is things do change, sometimes for the better. What I can say is that you are so far from alone. That's pretty much all I'm hearing. I'll occasionally hear somebody beg me to tell them it's okay to be happy right now. But that's about it. And they're only saying it because they know in their social group how much suffering is going on out there. I read the most beautiful story. Uh, the Italians, we're going to go back to it just to finish our pooing because, of course, Shakespeare never really talked about the privy pot enough. You know, couldn't have really gotten a Netflix show if you think about it. Billy Shakes. This concept really started to take over when the Italians started to get sick. But the very first 24, 48 hours of it, the commercial ran in France. As northern Italy was beginning to lock down, and as the images were coming out that were just so terrifying to the rest of the world about Milan, a commercial ran in, in France about a pizza being made in first person. And it's a very beautiful pizza, but throughout it, there's a big <coughs> hacking cough. And at the end, wording comes up talking about the Italian coronavirus, of course, implying Italians are all sick. And isn't it funny? <laughs> right before France gets just waylaid by this fucking thing. That's the mood that people had going into this lockdown in Italy. I remember an old man talking about how mad he was that he couldn't buy pasta and how the Nazis didn't even clear out the supermarkets. I don't think he was old enough to live through the Nazis, but you know how men get. 
I often wonder, did that motherfucker live? <laughs> did he go hungry? <laughs> if he did. So it's a real scary situation. People in Italy are making fun of it. People next door are making fun of it. People denied COVID. And then all of a sudden, bam. Now all of a sudden there are police with machine guns out on the city square. And nobody's walking around. And everybody has to stay inside in Italy. And in this, there's, of course, the images of the people on the balconies. And how nice it is to see the people on the balconies singing. They were singing the Italian national anthem. They were singing beautiful love songs. They were serenading one another. We all remember this period. It was only a couple of days, but we all remember watching it. Out of this very crass humor, out of this dismissal of humanity, out of this absolute lack of concern for what scientists and experts were saying, and the sudden lockdown and psychological effects, it would seem that a man and a woman on nearby balconies struck up a conversation and are now engaged. I won't go into any details about them. I think they are the story for the rest of us. It's a bit crass because they're people with feelings and lives and all the rest, but also they're not. Not really. They were forced onto the balcony, and they were scared and anxious, and they found something good in it. May you, in this, because I don't know what you're going through or what you will go through, because I do think, unfortunately, worse days are to come. But you're strong enough to meet them. And when you, after thinking you'd already been forced out on your balcony, find yourself suddenly upon it, may after some time of navel-gazing and drinking too much table wine, that's right, I will continue to insult Italians until the day I die. May you find something beautiful, or connecting, or present, or new, or renewing. May you find, after you have been pushed and pushed and pushed away from the place you thought you were supposed to be, May you find a new home. Hmm. Oh, that's right. I'm supposed to do shit. I'm not just supposed to ramble for this whole fucking time. I'm supposed to do things. This is a job. Fuck! 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 God damn it. Ah, oh, I just remembered I'm at work. It just ruined my whole mood. Oh, sure. It's fun for you. This is my job! God damn it. <laughs> she lay serenely in the afterglow, the sweat of passion spent, vaporized and no more her hair tousled frames a peaceful face. The red glow of her cheeks still visible, her eyes resting, her mouth open slightly, her lips still moist. Her pale skin smooth, no hint remains of what passed in the contortions of orgasm, 
which were etched into her innocent face. Linger no more, but shall again soon. She lies beneath a silken sheet, stretched more tightly across her breasts, showing them in sharp relief. The cool air from the open window arouses her nipples, which stands proud through the silk. She murmurs in her sleep and squirms in unison, and her arousal continues elsewhere. If her lover does not return, her satisfaction will be in her own hand. In the Afterglow, P. Curtis Human reason is beautiful and invincible. No bars, no barbed wire, no pulping of books, no sentence of banishment can prevail against it. It establishes the universal ideals in language and guides our hands so that we write truth and justice with capital letters, lie and oppression with small. It puts what should be above things as they were, is an enemy of despair, and a friend of hope. It does not know Jew from Greek or slave from master, giving us the estate of the world to manage. It saves austere and transparent phrases for the filthy discord of tortured words. It says that everything is new under the sun, opens the congealed fist of the past, beautiful and very young, our philosophia, and poetry, her ally, in the service of the good. As late as yesterday nature celebrated their birth, the news was brought to the mountains by a unicorn and an echo. The friendship will be glorious, and their time has no limit. Their enemies have delivered themselves to destruction. Incantation. I'm going to say Suzla. Muslus, but it is a very Eastern European name, so that's probably butchered. C-Z-E-S-L-A-W-M-I-L-O-S-Z, -E -S -S 1968. Real quick, just because I like showing off when I happen to know just a little bit of trivia, and I only know a little bit, so I don't get many chances to show off. The word philo, of course, is Greek and means... Yes? Anybody? Philo? <laughs> well, everyone's confirming that it's Greek. Philo means... I'm seeing some answers. It does, in fact, mean love. Philos. It's a kind of love. <laughs> Someone said dough, because of course of Philo. Very cute. How about Sophia? You've heard the name Sophia before. It's Greek. Do you know what it means? Wisdom. Wisdom is the definition that I've been given. So philosophy is the... Philosophy is the brotherly love of wisdom. That is correct. What is brotherly love in this case? The love of wisdom that is exchanged. It is not wisdom that comes from within. It is the love 
of shared wisdom. Real quick on that one, academy. We're still using the term academy as a place of education. The Greek term academy was a row of trees that bears profitable fruit. Academy was a line of fruit-bearing trees or profitable trees, trees that you would grow so that it would benefit a society or community. Ah, philosophy and academies. That's why they're still around. Okay. <clears throat> Do not ask me the name of my love. I fear for you the fragrance of perfume contained in a bottle if you smashed it, drowning you in spilled scent. By God! If you ever crooked a letter, lilacs would pile up in the paths. Do not look for it here in my chest. I have left it to run with the sunset. You can see it in the laughter of doves, in the flutter of butterflies, in the ocean, in the breathing of dales, in the songs of the every nightingale, in the tears of the winter, when winter cries, in the giving of a generous cloud. Do not ask about his lips, as elegant as the sunset, and his eyes a shore of purity, and his waist a sway of the branch. Charms! which no book has contained, nor described by a literate's feather, and his chest, his throat, enough for you. I won't breathe his name, my lover. My Love, Don't Ask Me, by Nizar Gabani. When awful darkness and silence reign over the great Grumbulian plain, through the long, long wintry night, through the angry breakers roar, as they beat on the rocky shore, when the storm clouds brood of the towering heights of the hills, of the chonkly boar. All right. Just going to say for whoever suggested this one, why, thank you so much. Indeed, so Palavera just dropped it out. That's also how I know of Philos, means brotherly love, because uh, Philadelphia. Philos is the brother version. Or, sorry, Delphos is the brotherly version. Philos is love. So, Philadelphia. I'm just going to suggest, whoever put this poem up, If you ever want to trip up a dyslexic, just throw him something with a bunch of fucking names that nobody knows. Like, if you ever really just want to fuck with a dyslexic, just make sure it's got as many proper nouns that aren't, like, really... Like, just throw in, like, a couple of Final Fantasy, a couple of Finnegan Wakes terms, and then that's... Because <laughs> this fucking thing... All right, I've closed my eyes and I've looked away from it twice. I'm going to take a deep breath and just try and get through it. <laughs> then, through the vast and gloomy dark, there moves what seems a fiery spark, a lonely spark with silvery rays piercing through a coal-black night. A meteor, strange and bright, hither and thither a vision strays, a single lurid light. Slowly it wanders, it pauses, it creeps, anon it sparkles, flashes, and leaps, and ever and onward it gleaming goes, a light on the bong tree stems it throws, and those who watch at the midnight hour from halls of terrace or lofty tower cry as the wild light passes along, the dong, the dong, the wandering dong through the forest goes, the dong, the dong, 
The dong with a luminous nose. I, this has got to be a joke that someone suggested. Long years ago, the dong was happy and gay till he fell in love with a jumbly girl. The dong was gay, really. Really. This is not a joke. This is not a joke poem. The dong was happy and gay. The dong, the dong, the dong. All right, tell me about the jumbly girl who came to the shores one day. For the jumblies came in a sieve, they did, landing at Eve, near Zemri Fid, where the oblong oysters grow, and the rocks are smooth and gray, and all the woods in the valleys rang with the chorus they daily and nightly sang. For in view, for in view, in the lands where the jumblies live, their heads are green, their heads are blue, and they went to the sea in a sieve. Oh, they're still singing. Wow, this is a... No, are they still singing? Oh, wow. I don't know, I can't tell if they're still singing. It's a poem, so they don't have to follow the same dialogue tags. Poets, I guess, just get to go to the next stanza. Maybe. Happily, happily passed those days while the cheerful jumbly stayed. Yeah, that's, they wouldn't be singing about themselves like this. Okay. They danced in circlets all night long to the plaintive pipe of the lively dong. In moonlight, shine or shade, for day and night, he was always there by the side of the jumbly girl so fair with the sky blue hands and the sea green hair till the morning came of that hateful day when the jumbly sailed in their sieve away. All right, sieve must be a boat of some kind, because it can't be what I'm thinking of as Eve. And the dong was left on the cruel shore, gazing, gazing forevermore. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if we just quit it there with the dong looking out because he, he got used? They did, the, they did the sieve of shame and got off the island. Gazing. Gazing forevermore, ever keeping his wary eyes on that pea-green sail for the far horizon. Ooh. Singing and the jumbly chorus still, as he sate all day on the grassy hill. Far and few and far and few, in the lands where the jumblies live, their heads are green and their hands are blue. They went to sea in a sieve. <laughs> this goes on for a while. But when the sun was low in the west, the dong arose and said, What little sense I once possessed has gone out of my head! And since that day he wandered still by the lake and forest marsh and hills, singing, oh, somewhere in Valley Plain, I might see my jumbly girl again, forever I'll seek by the lake or shore till I find my jumbly girl again. Playing a pipe with silvery squeaks, since then his jumbly girl he seeks, and because the night he could not see, he gathered the bark of a twongum tree. On the flower plain that grows, that he wove himself a wondrous nose, a nose as strange as a nose could be, a vast proportions and painted red, and tied with cords on the back of his head. In a hollow, rounded space it ended, with a luminous lamp within suspended, all fenced around with a bandage stout to prevent the wind from blowing it out, and with the holes all round. He sent it light in gleaming rays and dismal night, and now each night, all night long, over the plains, still roams the dong, and above the wail of the chimp and snipe, you may have heard the squeak of his plaintive pipe, 
while ever he seeks, but seeks in vain, to meet with his jumbly girl again, lonely and wild, all night he goes, the dong with the luminous nose, and all who watch at the midnight hour, from the hall of terrace of the lofty hour, cry as they trace the meteor bright, moving along through the dreary night, this is the hour from when forth he goes, the dong with the luminous nose, yonder, over the plain he goes, he goes, he goes, the dong with the luminous nose. <sighs> the name of that poem is actually very surprising. It's called uh, The Dong with the Luminous Nose. You wouldn't have guessed that, I know. By Ed Lear. I need to... know the year that this was published in immediately. <laughs> 2010. Oh, 200 years ago. All right. All right, Internet. What's a dong? That's right, we're stopping the show. Finding out what the fuck a dong is right now. There is no definition of a dong that fits a person. There is none. There is no definition of dong that fits a person. It's all sounds and it's all like strikes. Like, when I was very immature, as in a couple of minutes before I started this show, like, I could have laughed at the sentence, because the yang is up, the dong is down, right? That's, that's, that's a sentence I could have laughed at. Because the wang is up, the dong is down. If you want the dong to get up, the wang is going to have to fall down. Because as long as the wang is that hard, wong is going to be soft. The dong is going to be soft. If you want the dong to firm up, you're going to need the wang to soften a little bit. All right? Like, that's a sentence I could maybe possibly laugh at because we're talking about the Japanese index of businesses and the Vietnamese currency. You knew that, right? Person at home? You knew wang was a Japanese financial index and dong was a currency. Vietnam, right? Okay. <laughs> but none of these apply to a dude sitting on a shore looking for a nymph. <sighs> wow. Someone's going to have to tell me what dong in the year 1800 meant. Dong in the year 1800. Yeah, Winchy, I don't think so, because he doesn't have a nose, and that's got to play a part in what a dong is. Unless it's because it's a bell, unless it's really about a bell, and they put a nose on it. Is it about a bell that they put a nose on? <sighs> Poems in the 1800s had, were like constellations in ancient Greece. 
You could just be all like, yeah, 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 that's a fucking, uh, that's a Camara. You see, you see those eight stars right there? That's a Camara. The ones, the three on the right, that's the lion. Three on the left, that's the fucking goat. Two in the middle, that's a snake. I don't know what's upon a Camara. I don't know. It's three animals. That's it. Those eight stars, that's a Chimera. Shut up. Right? That's all it took for the ancient Greeks. Right? And I kind of feel like poetry in the 1800s <laughs> was a lot like that sometimes. Like, sometimes it's bangers. Don't get me wrong. You get your Ozymandias out there. You get your occasional. But there's a lot of poems in the 1800s that are just like, I saw a vase. It had Greek people on it. I liked it. On one side, there was a Greek guy rowing a boat. And on another, there was a lady. That urn was neat, and I saw it. This is actually one of the most famous poems, and I mock the shit out of it all the time, because so many of you were forced to read it in high school, just like me. (laughs) And then you had to answer questions on how great it was that somebody wrote a poem about going to see an urn. And somebody someday is going to find our reports on reading that poem and have to do a report on our reports on Ode to a Grecian Urn. That's true. Just think about it. That's how society works. (laughs) Americans in the 20th and 21st century did not like poetry very much. (laughs) Everyone does because it's a shit fucking poem. (sighs) They make you read it. (laughs) They break your spirit. Poetry is beautiful. Now read this. Now get it right. I have never been one to ration my love out. Slowly. I just never saw the sense in choking the breath from a living thing. The more I have learned about the walls and the throats of men, the more I have tried to make waiting look pretty, make it stay real quiet. Prayed you couldn't hear my insides, how your two hands convinced 206 bones into xylophones, a crescendo of bloody sing-song. You had me reaching for my own mouth off the floor, all slack-jawed silly at the side of you, when you turned that old turntable on at 4 a.m., whispered to me under the sheets, kissed me with conviction like you had everything to say, and meant it. Even the mason jar of sugar in your kitchen looked romantic in the morning, how quickly I found a dream in you, then never saw you again. Till I saw you wrapped in a New Year's kiss more blue-eyed than me. I tried to find myself on a map that night to pinpoint the center of not worth loving. Was it the tambourines in my blood singing your name? Was it something in my teeth? Are my ex-lovers still half-chewed between these exposed bones of me? Have I not toothpicked them out of my smile yet enough to call it clean? Or could you taste the last man in my mouth whom I loved, who ate me alive for years? Or was it the dirt beneath my nails, all the things I kept real quiet? My unmade bed, the bruises on my neck, the dancer who only called me when he needed a place to put his head in the middle of the night and still pull out before breakfast. I grow so ripe on the vine, I may rot off it. 
And who wants the kicked apples too soft to enjoy all hollowed out by the insects? I answer to men who won't call. Leave all the lights on in the house just in case someone reaches for the warmth through the window. Their hands, enough to quiet the skin off all this wanting, all of this Gemini contradiction in the thick of me, all the honey, but the sharks, but the honey, honey. I have a hard time saying this, that is, what I look like with the lights on. I also learn from time as a train to keep on departing and never return, so I see empty rooms we could be dancing in, my love. I am young and hardly itching to marry, but there must be someone who will find sixty years of mornings in me till the bones of us, when we'll just no longer have all these teeth in the way and just more room for the sun in our mouths and less need for all these words. Honey versus Shark by Alex Ustak <clears throat> She stood up and I washed her hair, gradually, then suddenly, slide down her shoulders and back like waves coming up to kiss the shore. She told me I met her with a smile. She had a lighthouse in her eyes, shining to guide in the lost ships. I always did consider myself to be a sailor lost at sea, and to me, she was home. Untitled, Sean Bates Is it Ulysses that approaches from the east? the interminable adventurer. The trees are mended. The winter is washed away and someone is moving. On the horizon, the lifting himself up above it, a form of fire approaches the cretins of Penelope, who mere savage presence awakens the world in which she dwells. She has composed so long a self in which to welcome him, companion to his self for her, which she imagined too in a deep-founded, sheltering, friends and dear friend, the trees have been mended, an essential exercise in an inhuman meditation larger than her own. No winds like dogs watched over her at night. She wanted nothing he could not bring her by coming alone. She wanted no fetchings. His arms would be her necklace and his belt, her final fortune of their desire. But was it Ulysses? Was it only the warmth of the sun of her pillow? She thought kept beating in her like her heart. The two kept beating together. It was only day. It was Ulysses, and it was not. Yet they had met, friend and dear friend of a planet's encouragement. The barbarous strength within her would never fail. She would talk a little to herself as she combed her hair, repeating his name with its patient syllables, never forgetting him, that he kept coming constantly, so near. The World as Meditation Wallace Stevens We've only got a couple of poems left if you want to get your quick quotes ready for the girls who are here. Okay. <clears throat> Somewhere I have never traveled gladly beyond any experience. Your eyes have their silence. 
In your most frail gesture are things which enclose me, or which I cannot touch, because they are too near. Your slightest look easily will unclose me, though I have closed myself as fingers. You open always, petal by petal, myself as spring opens, touching skillfully, mysteriously, her first rose. Or if you wish to be close to me, I and my life will shut very beautifully, suddenly, and when the heart of this flower imagines the show carefully, everywhere descending. Nothing which we are to perceive in this world equals the power of your intense fragility, whose texture compels me with the color of its countries, rendering death and forever with each breathing. I do not know what it is about you that closes and opens, only sometimes in me understands the voice of your eyes is deeper than all the roses. Nobody, not even the rain, has such small hands. Somewhere I Have Never Traveled, Gladly Beyond, by E. E. Cummings. Earlier, when the ink was thinner, I was running my eyes in bad light as favor to you. In belief that the best opportunities are exacted from the dark, I was given new maps every day to prevent news of my arrival from reaching any further than the next hill. I always knew you'd be there, waiting, with the door half open and all the lights on upstairs, languishing with some bad news at the end of a few well-connected thoughts, but a more comprehensive perspective was what was needed. So I turned and faced the man on the hill who was sketching the battle from memory. Assumption and conviction had come to me, the same thing for both of us. He thought he should put something down on paper, here, near the top of the page, lest you think his work was some personal interest to anyone. Across the Desert to L.A. by Ray De Palma There has never been sunlight for this love. Like a crazed flower, it buds in the dark and is at once a crown of thorns and a spring garland around the temples, a fire, a wound, the bitterest of fruit, but a breeze as well, a source of water, your breath, a bite to the soul, your chest, a tree trunk in the current to make me walk on turbid waters, be the axe that broke the lock, the dew that weeps from trees, if I become mute kissing your thighs. It's that my heart eagerly searches your flesh for a new dawn. Of Dark Love by Francisco Elacron And one last poem. <clears throat> You know how this is. If I look at the crystal moon and the red branch of the slow autumn in my window, if I touch near the fire the impalpable ash or the wrinkled body of the log, everything carries me to you, as if everything that exists, aromas, light, metals, were all boats that sailed towards the isles of yours that wait for me. Well, now... 
If little by little you stop looking at me, I shall stop loving you little by little. If suddenly you forget me, do not look for me, for I shall already have forgotten you. If you think it long and mad, the winds of banners that passes through my life, and you decide to leave me at the shore of the heart where I have roots, remember that on that day, that hour, I shall lift my arms and my roots will set off and seek another land. But if each day, each hour, you feel that you are destined for me with implacable sweetness, if each day a flower climbs up you to your lips to seek me, ah, oh, my love, oh, my own, in me all that fire is repeated, and in nothing is extinguished or forgotten, my love feeds on your love, beloved, and is you as long as you live it will be in your arms, without leaving mine. I want, oh, if you forget me, Pablo Narada. Okay. Goodness, goodness, goodness. <clears throat> you made it through the week, baby girl. It's okay to rest now. Take care of yourself. Take heart, love. Isolation does not mean you're alone. Baby girl, you have been very bad. Come here so daddy can spank you in that tight little ass. You're doing so well. Sweet baby girl, why are you so far away? Now get over here. Daddy wants to put his hands on you. You don't always have to be so brave, baby girl. Let's just cuddle all night and whisper our secrets to each other until we fall asleep. Okay, everybody who came out for a quick quote, thank you so much. I appreciate it and you more than I can say. Mm -mm -mm. <clears throat> uh, I guess we might as well. Real quick link, tip jar. It'll be down below if you're listening as well. Appreciate all tips, of course. Keep the show going and free and everything and all the rest. Appreciate it and you if you have the extra coin to spare. Okay. My dearest, when two souls which have sought each other for however long in the throng have finally found each other, a union, fiery and pure as they themselves are, begins on earth and continues forever in heaven. This union is love, true love, a religion which deifies the loved ones whose life comes from devotion and passion and for which the greatest sacrifices are the sweetest delights. 
This is the love which you inspire in me. Your soul is made to love with the purity and passion of angels, but perhaps you can only love another angel, in which case I must tremble with apprehension. Love Letter from Victor Hugo to Adele Valche. <clears throat> my dearest Ruth, you are the only person I have loved in my life. Setting aside a bit of parents and kids and their kids, I have admired and loved you almost since the day we first met at Cornell some 56 years ago. What a treat it has been to watch you progress to the very top of the legal world. I will be in John Hopkins Medical Center until Friday, June 25th, I believe, and between then and now, I shall think hard on my remaining health and life and consider the balance of time that has come for me to tough it out or to take leave of life, because the loss of quality now simply overwhelms. I hope you will support where I come out, but I understand you may not. I will not love you a jot less. Love Letter from Marty Ginsburg to Ruth Bader Ginsburg Oh my. <laughs> if you're wondering why I'm laughing after that, given the timing and everything, just, just let me get to the end of this. Boy, that couldn't, that's just something. Okay. <clears throat> if I were a clever woman, my gorgeous bird, I could describe to you how to unite in yourself the beauties of form, of plumage and song. I would tell you that you are the greatest marvel of all ages, and I should only be speaking the simple truth. But to put all this into suitable words, harmonious, that which is bestowed upon my species, for I am the humble owl that you mocked, and only lately. Therefore, it cannot be. I will not tell you what degree you are dazzling and resplendent. I leave that the birds of sweet song, who, as you know, are none the less beautiful and appreciative, I am content to delegate to them the duty of watching listening and admiring, while to myself I reserve the right of loving. This may be less attractive to the ear, but it is sweeter far to the heart. I love you. I love you, my Victor. I cannot reiterate it too often. I can never express it as much as I feel it. I recognize you in all the beauty that surrounds me, in form, in color, in perfume, in harmonious sound. All these mean you to me. You are superior to them all. You are not only the solar spectrum by which the seven luminous colors, but the sun himself that luminates, warms, revivifies the whole world. That is, that you are. I am the lowly woman who adores you. You're Juliet. Love letter to Victor Hugo from Juliet Dois. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
it's just so funny that those were the two because, and I read them in that order on accident because it is an accident. I promise I do not screen this fucking shit. It's so funny that I read that second order to me because the second love letter is about like, I know I'm the woman that's come lately. I know that I'm just this thing, but daddy. Oh, that was pretty funny. Oof. Okay. Boy, DMs are not like that, I promise you, because I don't get them. And I send them like that sometimes. And I still just get like, hey, back. So, you know, there's not a lot of... Thumbs up sunglasses. Cool. All right. Neat. <laughs> Allie, that's too many whys. I would never date a slut. I'm just kidding. Guys, I'm just kidding. I've pretty much only dated sluts. Pretty much only friends with sluts. <laughs> uh, don't use the word, really. Unless it's a live show and I can hurt my career and get sent to Cancelvania. <laughs> uh, one last love letter here. My one friend... My ardently beloved. This afternoon at 3.30 I returned from a glorious tour in Switzerland. How this land delighted me. There I found your dear letter's deepest, warmest thanks for all the same. With the new and burning enthusiasm it has filled me, I see that beloved marches boldly and confidently forward towards our great and eternal goal. All hindrances I will victoriously overcome like a hero. I am entirely at thy disposal. Let me now dutifully prove it. Yes, we must meet and speak together. I will brandish all evil clouds. Love has strength for all. You are the star that shines upon my life, and the sight of your ever-wonderfully strengthens me. Ardently, I long for you. O oh, my presiding saint to whom I pray, I should be immensely pleased to see my friend here in about a week. Oh. We have plenty to say. If only I could quite banish from me the curse of which you speak and send it back to the depths of the night from whence it sprang. How I love, how I love you, my one, my highest good. My enthusiasm and love for you are boundless. Once more I swear your faith tell death, ever, ever your devoted. Ludwig Well, this is a little confusing, because that, that's signed Ludwig, but it's written King... Oh, yes, sorry. King Ludwig II to Richard Wag Wagner. 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 Whoops. Was Wagner the Nazi? Yeah, I thought Wagner was the Nazi. I thought so. It's always something when, like, a studio, you know, I'm just going to say is produced by, like, you know, Jewish people. Just going to say it. Like, that's, you know, a fair bit of the backing is coming from Jewish people in Hollywood. But then the soundtrack on the movie has a bunch of, like, Wagner and shit. It's always like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> I, guess, I guess some people get forgiven over time. Mel Gibson, I mean, Mel Gibson brought, got brought back from Kevin Spacey Island. He's still around. We've talked about this before. So some people, like Wagner, do actually get returned. Some people are honorary, not Nazi enough, like Werner von Braun. Hey, you know what I should switch this from after all talking about poo and Nazis? Let's talk about the Crusades. Just real quick before we get into smut. 
<laughs> so in order to get the Crusades, you gotta you gotta you gotta have a you gotta have something first called the Holy Land. You can't just be all like, "Hey guys, Crusade." You can't. I mean, people try all the time. Like people are always doing that shit, but it never works. You can't just be like, "That's a Holy Land now." I guess fascists try and do that a little bit, but it does. Like, there's more going on there. You can't just suddenly go Holy Land. Like, just think about like Canadians. There's nothing holy about them. You used to have holy sites all over your country called. I'm probably gonna get the pronunciation wrong. You used to have these holy sites all across the country called called um, called. I'm sorry. I'm more certainly gonna get this messed up. I've been having trouble with names all night. Call that uh, time. I'm sorry. One, one more time. I'm getting stuck a little bit here. Time Houghton. There were these time hauntings all across Canada that were these holy sites that you would make pilgrimages to, sometimes on the daily. And you would you would head and you would bow your head down, please, and thank you and all the rest, daily bread. It was really very interesting. But even at the high level around the year 2000, I'd say it was the high level of the time of Horton. The time of Horton, right? Time of Horton? The time of Horton, yeah. Right around 2000 is when Horton was really, really like, you know. But even then... They couldn't just say, hey, by the way, Canadians, they couldn't have just, you know, stuck a little thing in every, every Horton and just said, by the way, now is our holy land and our holy land is now Michigan. And we must take Michigan. That doesn't really work. Like, even with these holy people coming around every day, you can't just suddenly go like, by the way, we've always had a holy land. It's over there. You need to kill people for us and get it. it you, there's some buildup. Don't worry, this isn't going the direction that you think. This is going a very different direction than you think. To have a crusade, you have to have a pre-established condition of, well, that's a holy land. You know, everybody has to feel it, otherwise you can't get people jazzed enough to go and kill and die for it. And what I never realized about the holy land before the crusades was that it was a lot of fucking money. You think, just think about it real quick. There's no tourist traps around, really. There's no vacation destinations. There's no e-channel. There's nobody telling you on Twitter where the fuck to go. So you hear that there's a holy land. That's a real, that's a real boon for the coffers of the people on the roads to the holy land. You know, all the inns and all the stables on the way to the, uh, the holy land, the holy land, the holy land. Have you been to the Holy Land? I've been to a Holy Land. I've been to Holy World. Holy World doesn't count. It's Holy Land. Holy World's for the fucking pansies and posers. Holy Land's where it's at, assholes. Have you been to Sea Holy? Nobody's been to Sea Holy. It's bullshit. Sea... I'm oh, sorry. God damn it, I got my jokes confused. Holy Land. All right? I've got an annual pass. <laughs> It's a good money maker. It's it, it's a, it, there's a lot of resources heading towards the Holy Land at any given time. It's the Holy Land, and when you think about it like that, it's going to create a lot of concepts and conditions. And here's something I never knew until this week: we're still using those words to this day, these pre-Crusader terms and terminology for the Holy Land, and going there. 
And one of my favorite terms, because people used to describe it of me back when I was sick, now I huff. Now people say I huff. Now people say I move. Now people say I got a lot of gas. But when I was younger and I was sicker and I didn't move so fast, people would say of me that I had different terminology. I would mosey. Or a word that I come, came to quite enjoy, and I never knew this, and I wanted to share it with you before we get into porn, I would saunter. S-A-U-N-T-E-R. Here's what I didn't know about the word saunter. It's one of those English words, French words, uh, that comes from saying Latin too quickly and people not being literate. Comes from two words. Terra, tier, for earth or land. And saint, S-A-I-N-T, saint, sanctified or holy. And so the people who had the money and the resources to head on out to the Holy Land every once in a while became known as saint terres Holy Landers. And they would take their sweet fucking time, because of course they have money and the resources to do it. It's a big chic thing. Oh, don't you want to be a saunterer in the same way that somebody might say today, don't you want to be an influencer? It's even a little bit of an insult to be a saunterer if you were heading to the Holy Land but didn't really mean it. So I think the influencer concept means more than people might think. Because when people use the word influencer, I've never seen them use it about somebody who's unsuccessful. It's always about somebody who's got a, got a fair bit of a career going. So in the exact same way, ooh, look at you taking your time and your money and your resources in the Middle Ages to go 500 miles on a trip. Ooh, Mr. Fancy. Saunterer. So there you go. Saunter. Holy Earth. Saunter. That's all. I thought that was really interesting. I think you do too. Okay. Sometimes when I tell women things, their pussies get really, really hot. I've been told it has that effect. Sometimes when I just tell, I've been told that, like, I can tell women things sometimes and they're just all like, just the way you, the way you explain, you don't, Wait until you see me on wait until you see me on Jeopardy and I can just fucking swing dick with this shit. No? Was that hitting too close to home? Y'all better be masturbating right now. Y'all better be laughing in the middle of your masturbation because I started talking about Santerre. That was the goal, and if it didn't happen, I will be back with another fact next week. Mast facts. Tadpoles turn into frogs. Get rubbing. Isn't it better when I do it like that? I I sometimes think like maybe I should I should really focus on the fucking how to talk about toilets pissing me off and and try and get into it. But then other times I think when I just kind of freeball it, that's funny fucking shit too. I don't know. I don't know. 
Should I have whispered the tidbits? That's what I should... No, it's better if I use, like, a warm voice. How can you... Listen, I'm just being real honest with you at this point. If you're skipping to the smut or trying to. <laughs> you poor things. <laughs> I'm trying to use my voice, sonically, to go through your speakers. I'm trying to enter your pussy, your vaginal canal. I'm trying to go right through some nerve endings, up into your brain, to make you use your hands to share me on social media. To follow me at realgraynight at twitter.com. To follow me on Tumblr at graynighterotica.tumblr.whatever.yup. Just graynighterotica and Tumblr. To follow me on the Patreon, the Grey Knight. I'm trying to send my voice right into you. Like physically into you. Bypass the ears because they've got guards. But if I get in through the... It's just like a man in his stomach. You get into a woman through her pussy and she just can't think right. Once you're in a woman's pussy and it feels good, she's just like, I don't know, maybe his band will be successful. You never know. Like, she didn't think that when you were saying it to her ears, but when you say it to her pussy, suddenly, it makes a lot more sense. <laughs> maybe he's only like that when he has a bad day. Says the pussy. <laughs> so that's where I'm, I'm trying to attack the weak point here I'm not trying to attack you where you're strong which is your brains which I know you have as women but because I respect you as women and know you have brains I'm trying to manipulate you through your pussies feminism <laughs> if I wasn't a feminist I wouldn't know how to manipulate you sexually speaking just think about that. Not too long, though, because I'm trying to get in through your pussy. <laughs> Just long enough for you to be like, Oh, God, that's bad. Oh, God, that's hot that it's bad. Just long enough. <laughs> All right, I got to stop. I, this joke was funny for about 30, 45 seconds, but I just stuck on it too long. Got it. <laughs> Jet out. I'd been nominated to represent my company at the annual shareholders meeting. So here I found myself bundled on a train. The unexpected part? Our new intern, Jessica, will be joining me. Not entirely sure what she'll be able to bring to the table, and now I've got to babysit rather than relax. This weekend was gearing up to be a royal pain in the arse. All I needed was a train strike to top it off. Is that like bird strike? Where like a train hits your plane? All right, that was a really bad fucking joke. I'm sat. Not doing the accent, which makes it even funnier that this guy is so fucking British. I'm sat on the train at a table looking across at an empty seat. Great, I think. Stuck with Little Miss Unreliable, who might not even turn up before the train leaves. Suits me. Boy, after this, someone's got to get me some Doctor Who scripts to read without the accent. It'll be a blast. As I stretch my legs out to relax and start reading the newspaper, a petite redhead approaches, fumbling for what looks like important documents. I look at her with a blank expression on my face as she drops 
the papers. I let out an audible sigh as I help her gather papers from the floor. I'm Jessica, she says in an airy voice as she flicks her copper red hair out of her face. <laughs> Jessica, what a power move, dropping the papers, not saying sorry, looking at a man's face, saying your name, and not shaking his hand. Jessica is a power player. That is self-assurance. <laughs> As the train jolt forward, she loses her... Oh, she was good for one second. She loses her balance off her legs. It goes flying towards me. I can't help but notice that she is wearing suspenders under her short pencil skirt. <laughs> oh, shit! She steadies herself on the back of my chair with an outreached arm. I think you'd better sit down before I... Ah, ah, ah. Sorry. Sorry. Habit. I think you better sit down before you fall down. I smile. I move my feet off the chair, and she carefully sits down opposite me. So, Jessica, are you looking forward to the shareholders meeting? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just... I just... I just did all of season five of Billions, and I've been reading a lot of business news in 2020. So that's just like, are you ready for the business meeting? We're going to the work factory, and later there will be investment talk. <laughs> you can call me Jess. She almost says in a whisper. She brushes her hair behind her ears, and she looks at me over her glasses and I notice the most amazing bright blue eyes. Author's note, when a woman is looking at a man over her glasses, she fucking hates him. She fucking cannot stand that fucking asshole. Just <laughs> over the glasses means fuck this guy. <laughs> you see a woman that you can noticeably looking over her glasses at a dude? Offer her a new job because she will take it. <laughs> okay, Jess. Not really. She interrupts. I was hoping for a relaxing weekend with a few glasses of wine, to be honest. Well, this was an interesting turn of events. Here was me thinking I'd be stuck with a boring, over-eager intern that wanted to talk about nothing but business. I'm sure we can find time for a few drinks. I retort with a smirk. The next hour or so of the journey is spent exchanging small talk as I try to remain vaguely interested in what she has to say. Oh, what a champ. Jess undoes the top few buttons of her thin white blouse, and I must admit I was finding it increasingly difficult not to look at her heaving cleavage, busting out of it. <laughs> that is twice the ratio to talking about her breast to her entire personality, I would just like to state. She suddenly lets out a very loud sigh as she kicks her high heels off. My feet. Hey. She moaned, placing them on the chair next to me. Rub them better for me? She adds in a playful manner. Uh, moving her feet from next to me, she puts them in between my legs and starts rubbing my crotch. I swear I didn't skip anything there. I, I can't do that. That's not... I couldn't. Jess tuts. As she plays with her hair, moving her feet from next to me and puts them in between my legs as she suddenly starts rubbing my crotch. I'm taken aback. Completely stunned. And at a bit of a loss as to how to react, I know what I should do. I should be professional and move her feet and remind her we are on a business trip. The devil in me 
won't let that happen, though. Her foot continues rubbing my ever-stiffening cock, and I could... It's so funny that I'm reading this in an American accent. <laughs> just, just one sentence. Just one sentence real quick. Her foot continues rubbing my ever-stiffening cock as I caress her legs. How long... How much longer is this journey going to take? I think I might explode! As soon as we reach the station, we flag down a taxi and jump in the back! Without even saying a word, I hand the taxi driver a tattered piece of paper with the address of our hotel on it. Apparently, they've taken this train journey to the shareholders' meeting in the year 1995. <laughs> I grab the back of Jess's head and press her lips firmly against mine. This story does not know how... This author is just paragraph by paragraph... Just introduce an information. There's no escalation. There's no communication. It's just we were here, and then this is what we did. And then we were here, and then this is what we did. And then I was here, and I touched some boobs. Jess's hand rubbing against my bulging trousers. Well, he's got an upgrade to a handy. We both rush upstairs and pile into my room. By the time I've put our bags down, Jess has already slipped her shirt off, her red hair flowing down her silky blue push-up bra, trimmed with black lace. Again, no description of her personality whatsoever. But boy, do you know what that fucking bra looks like, huh? <laughs> I just can't get over it. This whole woman is talking about her. She's got red hair. And let me tell you about this fucking bra. I stop and stare for a moment, taking in the stunning view. Standing there in front of me, her petite frame just screaming at me. And I just imagine the pound of like a 85, like English woman's intern body, just like, Rawr! Rawr! <laughs> I walk over to her and grab both shoulders, shoving her back against the door. We passionately kiss as one of her hands and grabs, I grab her tits. And the other fumbles to get her bra undone. Oh, bad move. You definitely want to, unless you know what you're doing, you definitely want to use both hands on the bra. She wastes no time in diving a hand into my trousers and leasing my... I was trying to come up for, for an English term, but I couldn't come up with it. Cock. As we frantically strip each other of all of our clothes, throwing them on the floor as we make our way across the room to the bed, she... Willie! She grabs my throat and says to me with lust venom in her voice, Don't be gentle with me. My hand glides over her toned stomach, down between her slender thighs. There's something in between there. I throw her backwards on her bed and promptly climb on top of her, parting her legs with mine. I grab her wrist and pin them to either side of her head. Leaning forward, I kiss her collarbone and then bite her neck. I loosen my grip on her wrist and she starts to lift her arms from the bed. I push her back down again, restraining her once more, moving her hands above my head. I hold them together with one strong hand. As I hold them there, I move one hand down her pale white skin and grab one of her firm, plump breasts, sucking and nibbling on her nipples. My hand Hand glides over her toned stomach and down in between her slender thighs. I slide my fingers over her pussy and she is already wet. I slide the tip of my finger inside her and she says rather abruptly, No! She sees a look of confusion on my face and explains, I want your cock to be the first thing inside me.
Jesus Christ. I rub her clit and release her hands from above her head, and she makes no hesitation in grabbing the back of my head and thrusting her tongue into my mouth. I lean back! She leans forward, not wanting our lips to part. Dude, just kiss her! I'm wondering how rough she wants me to be. I spin over to lay on her front. You need to be punished. I can't help it. He's now become, um... Are we the baddies? The short one. The peep show. Fuck. Peep show. Come on, the, the tiny one. <laughs> the girl from you guys, yeah, pretty good. Come on, I know one of you saw peep show. It was on. It was on for like twenty years. Nobody. They do a sketch show together. It's their names. Fuck the tiny one. Are we the baddies? That's who he's now become. That's now that he said, you need to be punished. That's who he is. You need to be punished. That's what he sounds like. <laughs> Nothing? God damn it. Am I alone here? Did my internet drop out? Oh, fuck me. This is not the time. Sorry to get real nervous. I maneuver. <laughs> you need to be punished. <laughs> I say, as I feel myself... <laughs> really getting into the dom David Mitchell, thank you. Really getting into the dominant role. Bringing my right hand back, I bring it down onto her delicate pale skin. The sound of my hand smacking her firm arse makes a high-pitched crack that pierces the air. I spank her arse repeatedly, her skin going from porcelain white to crimson red. <laughs> yes, she sighs. Again, I spank her arse repeatedly, her skin going from porcelain white to crimson red. I swear to you, it says it twice. With one final swing. I grab her arse. My hand lands on her red cheek. I maneuver myself so that I'm straddling her legs. I can see her pussy glistening under the light with, with excitement. I want to taste it. I roll her over onto the back once more, and before I get the chance to do or say anything, one of her hands thrusts forwards and grabs my head. <laughs> she said what she wanted, bro. She said she wanted the dick inside. As her fingers wrap around my hair, she says to me with force, I want you to taste me. She slides her hand between... It's written just like that. She slides between her legs and back up again, shoving two fingers into my mouth so that I can taste her. It tastes so sweet. I want more, and she can see it in my eyes. She pushes me down. Lick me. She moans. Without a second to lose, I do. As she demands, and I begin to lick her clit. She's dripping wet, and I can feel myself getting harder and harder the louder I make her moan. Her breathing gets heavier and louder as her body wriggles with pleasure. I stop only to bite her inner thigh. Her senses are heightened, and I bite her. It's almost as though her body melts. Let me feel you inside me, she says, grinning ear to ear. I pull myself to, ooh, I don't like that. Ooh, don't do that move on me, ladies. Nuh-uh, that's some fucking Cheshire cat shit. I am not down with it. Mmm. I want a vacant face over that. That's creepy. I pull myself towards her so that we're facing each other. She grabs my cock and slowly glides it towards her. I feel the tip of my penis into her, and I hold my position, not moving a muscle. Then, as slowly as I possibly can, I pull myself nearer to her, my cock easing its way deeper inside her. I wish I could capture this feeling forever. 
I eventually am as deep as I can, so I feel every inch inside her. I feel her vagina contract around me, gripping me. It feels divine. At that moment, I almost lose eye contact. I feel pressure build up in the tip of my dick, slowly pushing me out. I pick up her carry to the wall, pressing her against it as I fuck her hard and fast while she presses, still holding her in me arms. I must have hit the sweet spot. And I felt pressure build up in the tip of my dick, slowly pushing me out. I swear it says it twice. She pushes my cock out, squirting, while her body shakes. <laughs> that is so unexpected. I was wondering what was pushing him out. Okay. All right. Okay. So when he says that he feels that he's all the way in or he's gone real slow and then he can feel that she's starting to push him out, I assume that he was saying that she was using her vaginal strength properly through training kegels, I might add, was beginning to have like an effect. But what he was saying is, is that a penis goes into a vagina, which is not what you pee from, ladies, goes into a vagina and you put the penis all the way in, and she enjoyed the fact that his penis was inserted into her hole so much that, like a geyser plugged up by a rock in a video game or a 1970s cartoon, the pressure started to build up and started to push the penis out. And so he grabbed her, and he pushed her against a wall, and he starts fucking her better, and then he gets the orgasm, and that's when it blows his penis out. And that's why I had to laugh as hard as I could. Because of all the porn I've ever read, a woman squirting so hard a cock got shot out of it definitely never made the fucking grade. Now, I want to add that he's fucking her up against a wall. So hypothetically speaking, if ladies, you should erupt in such a way that you can eject a fully erect and pushed in penis from, from your pussy, you are going to hit the ground. If you can eject him with enough force that his entire body is going to fling out of him, he's going to drop you. <laughs> Just physics are involved here. <laughs> ah, can you imagine if that's how bodies worked? Every kid projectile vomits by age like five. Like almost all of them, like 100% have to. Could you imagine if that's how bodies actually worked? And like if a kid projectile vomited and then they just like, you found them on the roof. Like, if that's how spastic parts of your body happened, a kid would vomit, and then you would just hear, like, you would hear, uh, like, a little, uh, but you'd mostly hear glass shattering and shit. <laughs> kids would be making, kids would be spinning themselves around in circles, looking at the ground, and ejecting themselves into the air for fun, if that's how bodies worked. Just throwing that fucking out there. You'd have to you'd have to teach your kids not to kill themselves by throwing themselves up into the air. That's why we can't fly. I always wondered. Okay. <clears throat> that really threw me out of it. Just like his dick from her pussy. Let's continue. I pick her up and carry her over the wall. Okay, sorry. She forces my cock out squirting while her body shakes. I slide my cock back inside her. Nothing. No big no biggie. And move slowly in and out for a moment. Reckon you can squirt again. Sorry. 
Reckon you can squat again? I ask. <laughs> she pants. I stand her on the floor and dive back onto the bed, beckoning her to follow me. <laughs> what a gentleman. What a gentleman! He stands her up before jumping onto the bed and winking at her. That's a, that's a, that's a classy dude. She straddles me and starts riding me. I can feel the pressure building up again. Fuck! She yells as she comes again, hard. It's your turn. I think that's her saying it. She kneels down beside me, and I stand up. Caressing my balls, she slowly licks and sucks my shaft. My leg twitches, and she feels my dick throb. I erupt. I smile, and I say between breaths, Best business trip ever. <laughs> That's it! That's it! That's how it ends! <laughs> oh, I've never seen a man! That was definitely written by a virgin. That was definitely written by a virgin. There's no way a man who's had sex wrote that. Sometimes we play this game and it's a little unfair. But between his penis being ejected by her orgasm and the fact that he thinks like, come on on top of me. And then she does like she literally gets on top of him. Then she comes. Then he does. And he's like, yeah, that was nice. <laughs> bit, bit of the cum. Bit of it leaking out. Know how it is. No need to be on about it. I, Yeah. You know how it is. First it's up. Then it's not. No reason to go on and on about it, eh? It's not like the color red. It's not, it's not like a sensation like pressure building you're going to talk about, eh? I remember once there was a stand-up comic. This is not an acceptable joke, but it's still fucking funny. The guy had a stand-up mic, and he was just talking about, like, what the difference between the female and male orgasm is, and he's, like, women talking about it, and he's like, you can hear women talking about it, like... I think it's like firecrackers. For me, it's like a lightning storm. For me, it's like this gentle earthquake. And then he goes, and do you know what it is for men? And then he just takes the mic stand and he just throws it against the ground and goes, Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> And even at 13, at 14, I was like, that's it. I know. Even if I have it with a woman, which I have not yet, I know it's just that, but now there's another person in the room. I know, I have orgasms, and they are just, and then you're done. And then his joke about is, and I know that doesn't sound good, ladies, but men will do a lot about this. We will. We will write books. We will fight wars. We will pay cover. Again, that is not a socially acceptable joke in the year 2020. I still think it's fucking hilarious. I still think it's funny, and you should know that about going to clubs, which you do, because the last three clubs I've been to in the last decade were like 80% dudes. You figured it out. Wait a minute. <laughs> I don't know if these are serious or not. So I'm just going to read. Everybody having a good time? The super long show? Tell your friends and tip me. Tell your friends, mostly, in that order. Tell your friends and tip me. She shivered a little <clears throat> as she felt the air swirl around the room, signaling that the door had opened. This doesn't seem funny. 
No light filtered in through the thick blindfold. No noise reached her ears, despite how hard she strained to hear. Her hands flexed behind her back, the thick rope abrasive against the soft skin. A hand brushed against her cheek, making her jump, heart surging in her chest. She blinked rapidly, waiting for their next move. Fingers trailed down her braid, and she whimpered softly. A hand roughly gripped her face. Do I need to tell you to make a noise? A male voice snapped. She shook her head as much as she could in his grip. No, I didn't. So what are you not going to do? Make any noise? She whispered. The hand released her to tap her on her cheek a few times, clenching and releasing her hand a few times. She forced her heart to calm. She felt a hand wrap around her braid, tugging it down slowly and forcing her head back. For a long moment, nothing moved. No sound could be heard over her ragged breaths, and her pain blossomed in her cheek. It took everything in her not to cry out, teeth sinking into her lower lip. Pain exploded into her other cheek. Her hair was released. Her head dropped forward, hands clenched into fists from the efforts of not making any noise, a hand stroked across her hair as if in rewarding her for being good, and she sighed softly. The hand slid down, fingers brushing across her heated cheek, and she couldn't help but lean into it, chasing that gentle touch. It curled under her chin, tilting her head back, and she felt a pair of lips brush against hers. Then... There was no more touch, no more sound, no matter how hard she strained. She couldn't hear anybody moving around. Air swirled around the room again, and she couldn't tell if somebody was entering or leaving. Nothing happened for so long she had to guess that she was alone. And then Anne trailed down her bare back, leaving goosebumps in its wake. A pair of lips followed it, and a soft sigh escaped her. Teeth sank into her ass cheek, and without thinking, she cried out. She realized what she had done immediately and froze in place. The falling silence was tense, and she found her whole body trembling. Bend over. A different voice growled. She swallowed hard, bending forward at the waist as far as she could without falling, finding it difficult to hold without her arms to catch her balance. A hand wrapped around her throat, steadying her and forcing her to bend farther. What did I tell you not to do? The first voice asked from beside her. She guessed he was the one holding her throat. Make noise, she whispered, heart thundering in her chest. And what did you do? A hand wrapped around her braid, forcing her head back even as her throat was held tight, keeping it in place. Made noise, she whispered. Both hands tightened and squeezed her eyes shut. <clears throat> and what do you think should happen when somebody doesn't do what they're told? The man asked. She could feel his breath on her face and knew that he was right in front of her. She swallowed hard, knowing the answer he wanted. Me. Should get punished. She managed just barely, her voice strangled. I think that's a good idea. The man said, and she could feel a hand at the base of her spine, just above her ass. Are you going to take your punishment like a good girl? She nodded mutely, and her hair was released, letting her head drop forward through the hand on her throat still held in place. We'll start with five. Any noise, 
and we'll add five more. Before she could respond or really process what he was saying, her whole ass was on fire. She yelped in surprise, and the hand on her throat tightened. That's another five. She was struck again, this time managed not to make a noise It felt like a paddle, big enough to strike her entire ass at once. Eight to go. Two more followed in quick succession. The tears popped into her eyes. Six. The next two strikes went across her thighs, and she squirmed, squirming from foot to foot. Four. And a hand stroked her cheek. You're being a good girl for your punishment. She lost track of the next three, the man in front of her counting each time, and stroked over her burning ass as if to try and soothe the pain, and she sighed softly, slowly relaxing under the touch. One to go, good girl. The man in front of her murmured before closing his hands around her mouth, the light strike landing on the crease of her ass and her thighs. Her teeth sank into the hand of her mouth with the effort it took to keep from making noise. The tears in her eyes soaked into the blindfold, and then it was over. A pair of hands smoothed over her aching flesh, gentle and soft after the unyielding force of the paddle. She locked her jaw, pulling her teeth from the man's hand. Her body trembled slightly as she waited for the punishment of biting him. It never came. His hand instead gently stroked her face. The hand left her throat, and somebody helped her to stand back up straight. You're a good girl, and you're going to keep quiet now? The man in front of her asked. Yes, sir. She whispered, letting out a shuddered sigh. A pair of lips brushed across hers, and she found herself leaning towards them. They were gone, though, leaving her in the same blind darkness. She could feel the heat of somebody standing behind her so close they nearly touched. It took everything she had not to lean back towards it. On your knees, the second voice said from behind her. It was a struggle to get down on her knees with her hands tied up, but she managed without falling. All the way down. She shifted, lowering further to sit back on her heels. Bend over. Forehead on the floor. It took her a moment to respond, hands flexing behind her before she finally curling up forward. When her forehead made contact with the cold concrete, she grasped and then snapped her mouth shut. Something trailed across her back, something with long, cool strands making her shiver. There was a soft whoosh, and the strands stroked across her back harder, and again, just a touch harder. She could track the strikes this time, hearing the flogger whipping through the air. It never struck hard enough to really hurt, just enough to make her feel it, bringing a delicate pink to her back. There was something almost soothing about it, and the longer it went, the more she sank into the feeling until there was no thoughts, no worries, just that next strike. She nearly whimpered when it stopped, a pair of hands pulling her up, so she was sitting on her heels again. Hold this. She heard as something long and hard was pressed into her mouth. She opened wide to take it between her teeth, biting down so it wouldn't fall. A pair of hands caressed her breasts, and her head fell forward. Fingers tweaked her nipples, making her squirm. One hand stayed there, turning her nipples to hard peaks, while the other slid slowly down her stomach. Spread your thighs. She did as she was told, and as she could. But the fingers on her nipples pinched harder, making her jerk at the sudden pain. Farther! 
She spread her legs as wide as she could without falling, making her thighs and hips tremble. That hand slid lower, cupping her already soaked pussy. It rubbed with no real pressure. She tried to grind against it, learning quickly that her position didn't allow her any movement. The fingers finally moved, parting her lips to trail through her wetness, stroking up and down. Occasionally they would flick across her clit, making her hips jerk. One hand slid, in, slid inside her without thought. She she moaned around that hand in her mouth, stroking stopped immediately, and the hand was removed. What did I say? The man behind her snapped, yanking the flogger from her mouth. No noise, she whimpered. You have two rules only. Do as you're told, and no noise, said the second voice from across the room. Just two. And how many times have you broken that second rule now? Before she could attempt a response, the man behind her wrapped his hand around her braid and yanked her head back, saying, Three times now, so I think we'll go with three strikes this time. Her hair was pulled back farther, forcing her body to arch any noise, and I'll add another three. There was only one thing for him to smack. There was only one thing for him to smack from this position, and she could feel her eyes start to tear up at just the thought of it. With no preamble, the hand slapped hard across her pussy, making her whole body jerk with pain. A second one and the tears spilled over, a third made her chest shake with a sob, but no sound came out. The hand on her hair shifted, and she could feel her hair directed to lean against somebody's shoulder. Do you think you can be good now? I'm perfectly happy to keep punishing you, but I think you'll enjoy reward for more good behavior. I'll be good, she whispered. I promise. He made a noise saying, I'm not quite sure that I believe you. I will. I promise, she pleaded. I'm sorry. I promise I'll be quiet. I'll listen, please. I'm sorry. I'll be good. That's better, he said. And she shivered at the feel of his hand sliding down her body again. The handle was pressed to her lips again, and she accepted it back into her mouth, clenching her lips to keep it from falling. One hand teasingly played across her nipples while the other slid back and down between her legs. She couldn't help but to flinch as her fingers trailed across her abused pussy. Her hand was gentle through, sliding through her lips, gathering her wetness and rolling them up to tease her clit. She gasped with each pass but made no other noises, not wanting to risk further punishment. Ever so slowly, she pushed a finger inside of her. She tried not to rock her hips, tried not to get any sort of friction, but it was not to any avail. The finger fucked her gently, occasionally pulling out to trace its way up to her clit and then back. A second was added, and her eyes slipped shut, head laying more heavily on the man's shoulder. His fingers curled, finding that special place inside of her, and her jaw clenched with the effort of not moaning. He fucked her faster, his thumb finding her clit and circling it with a firm pressure. Despite the sting and the cold, she could still feel through her ass and pussy, or perhaps because of it, she found herself building towards an orgasm. Her body tensed, a light sheen of sweat coating her skin. Do you want to come? The second man said from somewhere in front of her. She nodded once in response. 
How bad do you want to come? It was a trick question, and she knew it. If she didn't answer, she wouldn't come. If she did answer, she'd be breaking the no-sound rule and would receive another punishment. I guess you don't really want to come, said the man behind her. His breath whispering across her ear, she continued to fuck her pussy with just the right amount of pressure. It almost hurt, staving off the orgasm, but she didn't want to know what would happen if she came without permission. That's a shame. I really wanted you to come. His speed increased, and speed and mouth fell open with a gasp, a flogger clattering to the floor. Please, she finally broke. Please, I need to come, please. Please let me come. She knew that she earned another punishment, but she couldn't let it go on any longer. Teeth nipped at her ear, and then a voice growled, Come! Now! She did, exploding around his hand, a strangled moan drawn from her. He continued to fuck her through it, and she found herself racing towards a second. Do you want to come again? She nodded, her whole body shaking. The fingers pulled out to slap her pussy harder, making her yelp. You can do better than that, he snapped, returning to his harsh thrusting, thumb rolling over her clit so hard it nearly hurt. If anything, that slap had pushed her even closer to the impending orgasm. Please, please, don't come yet, said the voice in front of her. She could hear the unsaid or else at the end. It built, and it built, beautifully painful. Now. She was torn apart, a ragged cry escaping her lips, finally slowed to a stop, fingers gently bringing her down. The hand was removed and everything was silent. For a moment. I guess you thought your need to come was more important than following our rules, said the man from behind her, his voice harsh. Fine. Then I know what your punishment is. She could hear a drawer being opened across the room, items rattling around inside it. The man pressed down on the back of her neck, forcing her back into the position with her forehead on the ground. Her whole body shook with anticipation and fear. And she almost missed the click of the bottle being opened. She held her breath, waiting for it to find what he had planned. Her teeth sunk hard into her lower lip when she felt something cool and slick against her asshole. It pushed forward slowly, inexorably, the lube helping it invade despite the way she clenched. This will go a lot easier for you if you relax, said the man behind her, and she nodded forcing herself to relax, to stop fighting it. The wildest part finally pushed through, and the tight ring of her ass closed around it, making her exhale sharply. Hands pulled her back up, making the plug jostle in her ass, all the way up, on your knees. He ordered, and she did, as told, feeling a little wobbly with her legs still spread wide. There was movement between the legs, and she couldn't quite follow, and then a hand landed on her shoulder. Back down. She started to lower herself, trying not to crash down, and froze when something pressed against her pussy lips. Did I tell you to stop? Biting back a whimper, she pushed down farther. The dildo was big, stretching her wide, making her feel even further with the plug in her ass. There was a sheen of sweat across her body by the time she finally bottomed out, nearly all the way back down to the floor. Fuck yourself on the toy. Don't come, 
She heard from across the room, shuddering. She pushed back up, feeling the nubby texture of the dildo dragging across her walls all the way until the top was just barely inside her, then back down. As she got more comfortable with the length, she started to fuck herself faster, head falling back, panting for breath. Her thighs were beginning to burn, which thankfully distracted her from the need to come. Stop, the first voice said. All the way back down. Hold it there. And she did as told, legs trembling and tired. She felt a hand adjusting something between her legs, the dildo slowly being pulled farther down. She followed it until her ass rested on her heels again. It was a relief not having to bounce awkwardly to impale herself. A loud buzzing broke the silence of the room, and she knew what it was before it had even been pressed harshly up against her clit. If you want to come, you have to ask, the second man said from behind her. I have in my hand a wire hanger. A whimper escaped her unbidden, the fear of what he held temporarily overcoming the painful pleasure of the Hitachi. You are going to lean forward for a little so I can see your ass, and then you are not going to move. If you try and squirm away, you'll feel this on your ass. Understand? She shuddered. A hand yanked off her braid. Do you understand? She nodded fiercely and shifted forward as told, unable to think with so many things happening in her body. Can I please come? Whispered her body, hovered on the first precipice. Do it. The first man said, who guessed was holding the Hitachi. She fell over in a peak at a moan, grinding unconsciously on the dildo and vibrator without trying to escape them. Her body chased that second peak. Just before it broke, she gasped. Can I please come? Now! said the man behind her, and she gasped, her body jerking at the forcing of her orgasm. Before it even ended, she was racing for a third. It started to become painful, but she raced towards it anyway. Her body arched, tense and shaking, before whimpering out, Can I please come a third time? Do it. She couldn't tell who said it this time, lost in the sensation of her third orgasm. The fourth appeared immediately after, the pain and oversensitivity making her teeth grind and tears spill down her cheeks. Can I please do it? Her voice rose with this orgasm, a pained cry, unable to handle any more. She tried to jerk her hips away from the Hitachi, though she was trying to stop by the dildo inside her. The wire hanger lashed savagely across her ass for trying to escape, and her chest shook. She got out. Not yet, he said, and forced it down, sobbing from intensity, the pain, the pleasure, the writhing around each one inside her. She tried to escape again, receiving another lash for it. Now, the man snapped, and she screamed as her fifth orgasm slammed into her like a train. She thrashed about on the blindings, hands landing on her shoulders to hold her still as she rode it out. It took several minutes to come down enough to realize the Hitachi was gone. Hands stroked soothingly across her face, down her back, soothing across her stomach. They petted her gently until she was breathing more easily. Tears had long since soaked through the blindfold, and she could feel where they had streamed on her face. A pair of hands gently pulled her up off the dildo, dragging her, and a whimper as her lips shushed. She was bent forward, the plug pulled carefully from her ass, a pair of arms wrapped around her from behind as the blindfold was finally pulled off. Tired eyes blinked against the bright eyes of the room, and the man knelt before her, hands dropping to blindfold to stroke her face. How do you feel, sweetheart? He murmured, as the man behind her worked to undo the knots of her binding. She smiled at him tiredly. 
I feel good, she said, her voice a little rough. And that was kind of intense. There was a chuckle from the man behind her as he rubbed the feeling back into her arms. And that's what you asked for, babe, he teased, nuzzling her cheek. She leaned back against him, letting the pair lovingly take care of her, bringing her down from the high of the scene. The man before her got up only briefly to retrieve a blanket, wrapping it around her body as the adrenaline was wearing off. The body began to shiver violently, and she was gathered into a pair of arms and carried from the playroom. Hey, how'd you say so quiet? She asked sleepily as they settled on the couch, sprawled across her two men. Socks, was the simple answer, making a giggle. Nuzzling into the man holding her. I'm glad you enjoyed it, sweetheart. She made a soft noise, already half asleep, feeling safe, content, and well sated. Bound Silence by, all one word, a writer named Ian. Just like it sounds, a writer named I-A-N. I don't know where a writer named Ian can be found, but I know a lot of you will want to find more. We've got lots of smut left, but I think that's going to have to do it uh, for this episode. I did give it my whole thing. I have been talking for about three hours straight at this point. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. We had a funny story. We got a sexy story. We got lots of great poems and love letters tonight. I did some rambling for you all. I think that's a pretty good show. I don't know about you guys. Tip jar if you can't afford it, and if you can't, but of course, even if you can. Spread the word, won't you, all around social media, to your friends, to anyone you know. I am trying to become this entertainer. I am trying to see you here every Friday night, 10 Eastern. Expand and grow and all the rest. Let's just pretend that the rest of COVID, until live show comes back, that this is all just my final exam, and you can help me ace it so that I can go out into the real world and do live shows, because I'll be even funnier, sexier, and more entertaining in person, believe it or not. You can help me get there. All the ways that I said before, Twitter, uh, Real Grey Knight, R-E-A-L-G-R-E-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T. And that's how I need to do that going forward. Wow, that almost sounded kind of good. R-E-A-L-G-R-E-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T. That's kind of fun. Okay, uh, Grey Knight Erotica at Tumblr. The Grey Knight at Patreon. The G-R-E-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T at Patreon. Uh, for more uh, stuff, if you want to sponsor the podcast uh, or anything else. Thank you to everybody who submitted something. This podcast is 100% just kind of read by me. Uh, links provided by you as the fans. And I appreciate you all very, very much. Uh, I meant what I said about there being a lot of misery and a lot of frustration in the world. Whatever you feel, it's okay to feel it. Trying to be an entertainer. Trying to be entertaining. But... Your feelings are reals. They're reals to me. Anyway, have a great rest of your week ahead of you. Hope to see you soon. Come on out for a live show if you haven't already. It means a lot to me. Okay, bye. Thank you. Trying to entertain. Trying to entertain. Show me that I'm doing it. Show me on social media. Bye.